Hey everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of Hiker Trash Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Aprilli, trail name footage. This episode is sponsored by Garage Grown Gear. Garage Grown Gear sells wildly cool gear from small and startup outdoor companies. If you are looking for some great gear from some incredible brands, head on over to garagegrowngear.com and use the code HIKERTRASH at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. For this episode, I interviewed a buddy of mine, Michael Francisco, trail named Curly. I met Curly through hiking the AT in 2016, and we ended up hiking from Virginia all the way to Maine together. Curly through hiked with his niece, Jetson, who was also interviewed on this show. If you want to give that a listen, check out episode two, and you'll get a nice dual perspective of their shared through hike. Curly is a very interesting guy, far from a stereotypical hiker, which I don't really know what a stereotypical hiker is anyway, but he has a lot of interesting perspectives of the trail and a ton of crazy stories so i hope you guys enjoy listening please forgive the not so great audio on the second half of our interview unfortunately halfway through the interview curly's mic cut out and we had to salvage the audio from my microphone and as a result it is not the best so without further ado here is curly hi this is curly I hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2016. Took 138 days, mostly grueling, some pretty fun though. Okay, how did you first learn about the AT? So I first learned about the AT through Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout, and um, so I was probably in the Boy Scouts starting in Weeblos all the way to Eagle Scout, maybe from age 6 to age 16. And sometime along the way, I'd heard about the Appalachian Trail. But we as a troop had gone up to North Georgia. Um, We've done Flint River and a lot of different areas in Georgia. So I'd already heard about it. In terms of uh, actually thinking about going and doing it, I heard about the trip on uh, that my niece Emily was going to do. Um, I heard about it in September of that year. So we talked about it in September. And then by April, we had started. So I had about a six-month head start to get ready. Okay, and besides Boy Scouts, did you have any prior hiking experience? Uh, Not really. Yeah, most of my hiking had been with Boy Scouts. I did have a couple good buddies in college, uh, Chris and Jeff, and uh, they were my roommates. We would go up to Tallulah Gorge, which is a little bit north of Commerce, Georgia. Really beautiful spot. You can hike down. Uh, it's more of a camping spot than a hiking uh, deal. So so how did your thru-hike come about? My thru-hike started because I didn't particularly like my job. And Emily uh, was dead set on going. My family was truly happy and excited for her, but also, you know, thought that it would be really cool if someone w- went with her Uh, As she has already explained, um, her father, Tim, was unable to go, and so we were talking about it before in September, a little bit before Thanksgiving, and it just kind of got thrown out there that I might want to do it because, again, I didn't really have a job that that was a good long-term fit, and the Appalachian Trail has always been kind of a place for one to go in nature and reflect and figure out what they want to do and at least that's that's how I 
looked at the trail and what I hoped to, to gain from it. So what was your life like before you hiked the trail? So I had a pretty comfortable life. I lived on St. Simon's Island. I uh, had a girlfriend. Uh, we shared an apartment. Um, and I, I worked as a banquet captain at a uh, resort called King and Prince. And prior to that, Sea Island. Um, not to give them any, any marketing. But um, yeah, I was doing weddings and, and um, seeing people expend excessive amounts of money on crap they didn't need and trying to sell them, upsell them on more crap that they didn't need. And I just really didn't like it. Um, you know, hospitality can be fun. The people you work with are really great, but the people you work for, like the clientele, generally don't appreciate a lot of what you do. So I wanted to get away from that and didn't know where I wanted to, to go or what I wanted to do. But, um, but my job was going nowhere. And as much as I love my girlfriend, um, you know, I'm a pretty uh, impetuous person. And maybe that's not the right word. But um, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of out of the blue came home one day and told her after having this conversation with my family that I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail in April. And it would take about four and a half, five months. And I was going to be gone that time. And she took it initially pretty well. But uh, as you know, over the course of the trail, things kind of broke down, so came back girlfriendless. But uh, it was still a great experience. So, how was it, kind of trying to maintain that relationship while on the trail? Right. Uh, I was curious if you were going to ask anything about that. So I'm, I, you know, I'd be curious to hear what you thought about it, uh, seeing it kind of from an outsider perspective. Obviously, you know, I was. Um, uh, not happy about, uh, you know, how my decision to go on the trail was affecting the home life I intended on coming back to. Um, and certainly before I left, I told her, you know, um, I had every intention on coming back, which I did. Um, although I guess at the time I was being naive to the fact that it was going to be a life-changing experience and, um, and that even if I thought I would be coming back, that didn't necessarily mean that I was, which I think she was a little bit more realistic about. Um, and she was, she was supportive, but definitely worried at the beginning. And um, she put on a pretty supportive face. Uh, in fact, she was the only one of all of my friends and family who, when I had told I was going to be doing uh, hiking the trail, she she actually supported that and and you know, said that she thought I could do it, and I, you know, um, kind of, you know, whether or not she actually felt that way, I wonder, because some of the ways she would say that she knew I was going to do it were mainly, not backhanded compliments, but it's like when someone tells you, you're stubborn enough to do it, as opposed to, you're dedicated enough to do it. I mean, I think she really did think I was going to be able to do it, but not because of a positive attribute of mine, more because of a negative attribute. But um, in the end, she was right on both accounts. I did finish it because I am stubborn, and I didn't end up coming back home. But that was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy with her because we obviously had issues when I was out there, and, and that made the decision not to come back home a lot, um, a lot 
easier, I guess. Not easy, but, um, you know, uh, more realistic. So you said there wasn't a lot of support or belief that you could actually do this within your inner circle when you had told them. Why didn't, why didn't they think that you could do it or that you would do it? I think most people didn't know that I had a background uh, or that I was an Eagle Scout, that I had done a fair amount of hiking. And to be fair, I really hadn't done a fair amount of hiking in the 10 years between uh, Boy Scouts and, and um, moving back to Georgia because I had lived in Texas for a while. But um, there's not a lot of hiking out in Texas. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think admittedly, if you had asked me at the beginning, if I was, how sure I was that I would finish, I probably would have given it a pretty low percentage because, uh, as much as I would like to think that I'm very persistent and, um, and dedicated, I have always had an issue with following through with certain things. So, um, you know, I, it it wasn't so important to me that I had to finish to give myself some sort of self um, recognition, or it wasn't that it wasn't so tied to who I am that I had to finish. It was like you know I'd love to finish. I'm going to enjoy this time with my niece, getting to know her, and and meeting new people out on the trail, getting out of my own comfort zone. Um, and as much as I wanted to finish just getting getting there was to me a lot more important than getting uh to Maine so getting getting to to start the whole thing was uh, a big deal for me and then you know I kind of as the trail proved uh you know it, it will you know to a certain degree you'll finish if the trail wants you to finish right so it could rain you out every single day and beat you down and to the point you submit uh, but thankfully, you know, even when we'd have a rough day where I'd think, man, this is not worth it or this is just miserable, um, generally the following day we would get some sort of pick-me-up or, you know, the trail magic, something to kind of keep you hanging on. Or, and this is the benefit of having someone else with you or making friends on the trail, is that you f- feed off of each other's excitement even if your excitement level is not at the same spot at that moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally forgive everyone who thought I, uh, I wasn't going to do it. And, in fact, when I got back, I had a whole lot of fun letting them all know that I did finish, that they were, in fact, incorrect. And, um, and you know, it kind of added into the whole blowing people away thing. I mean, not that that was necessarily any intention of mine, but... Um, but I think because they were all so skeptical that I would finish, when I came back five months later with a, you know, beard to my uh, belly button, basically, and you know, looking like a mountain man, they were just kind of impressed that I uh, actually did it. So it was cool. Nice. You got to prove those haters wrong. That's right. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned that I guess you had a history of not following through with things. Why do you think that? that changed or that you were so stubborn enough to finish the trail? Like, was there a Uh, switch that flipped? Uh, you know, I fed a lot off of Emily. Um, she is a really exuberant personality and, um, uh, you know, she's super confident, super confident. And I grew up, 
fairly confident, but even not to that extent. I mean, um, you know, if you, we were having a conversation the other day, and she told me that if she wanted to be on the women's U.S. national soccer team, she would only need about a year to two to get ready to do that, <laughs> which is like ridiculous to think that it would be, you know, just a matter of deciding that's where I want to be, and in two years, that's where I'm going to be. Um, you know, I part of why I'm skeptical uh, about making, you know, definite statements like that is because I, in part at least, because I lived through the recession where I came out of college with a whole head of steam thinking I was going to go into business and make a lot of money, and then two years in, I'm unemployed. I've already worked for two companies now because one was bought by another, and it was just a complete pain in the ass, and then I had to switch gears, find a different uh, job, and then just, I, I ended up having like five jobs within 10 years, which is, A, does not look good on your resume, but, but B, it doesn't, it doesn't help your self-esteem, um, and not all of those were the fault of the economy, some of those were, were just, uh, you know, either it not being a good fit or, you know, me screwing it up somehow one way or another, I have a talent for that. Um, but in the end, it gives me uh, a greater perspective, uh, or at least that's how I look at it. I've seen a lot of different professions and got it, um, you know, you, it's that old adage, you learn more from failure. So I think um, my approach on the trail and, and on one hand, while I fed off of Emily's confidence, I think she fed off of my, or may, maybe she did or didn't, but... Um, one of my attributes, I think, is I, I appreciate the struggle. I'm not a complainer. So, um, you know, if it's raining or, you know, if it's cold, I, not to say that I won't complain, but I have a talent for looking at the brighter side and finding that, like, you know, that one thing that makes it all okay and, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at being upbeat even in the face of, of uh, some pretty shitty uh, odds. So. Well, that's a very important attribute to have, especially when you're hiking the trail. And even as you say that, I can remember some times where we might have been having a rough day out there on the trail, and you're just like, all right, you know what? Like, I'm making a group decision <laughs> for us that we're going to stop here, and we're going to have some lunch and regroup and eat some peanut butter and jelly tortillas. <laughs> just... You know, take a break, catch your breath, and then uh, start again. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, uh, more so than you or M, had little luxuries, right, to help me. You know, taking a break for me was a little bit different than you guys because I would smoke a cigarette. I, I had, you know, the small luxuries that would make me feel like I hadn't just hiked 10 miles. You know, I could kind of forget that stuff. So it was really easy for me in those moments to to relax and um but I'm glad to hear that you also fed off of that. Yeah, there were a few times where you, you made the executive decision because we the group of us we would always go back and forth about I guess trying to make the right decision or the right call and um sometimes at the expense of our well-being and then every once in a while you just put your foot down and be like all right, you know what? I think <laughs> as a group I think it's best for all of us if we just take a break. Yeah, I remember uh, as an example of that, when we were going to go up, we were in the Whites, 
and it was just that it was that day where it was nasty and no one wanted to hike it and we were coming up with excuses not to hike it and we had family that was helping us um, you know basically picking us up at the gaps and we'd, we'd camp uh, with them and then get back to it I mean if for anyone listening if you can have help at any point along the trail the whites is the spot to do it because otherwise you may have to pay or or um, work for stay at one of the huts which can be an exorbitant cost um, and anyway so there, that that day no one wanted to hike and everyone was saying they didn't want to hike but we were still starting up the mountain as if we were going to and then it was like an executive decision to say no like let's just listen to ourselves and the funny thing is the next day if you remember we walked up and we ran into sweets and jingle and um and that other chick i can't remember her name wheels wheels right and they did hike that day they got like three miles and ended up camping on the side of the mountain there this that was after musalak but um i think it was right before lafayette pretty sure but uh either way you know sometimes you just got to say cut your losses you know and uh say not today so yeah i mean just to summarize that um emily jetson's dad and his buddies were in town um and, and they had camp sites basically waiting for us um at these local camping resorts so we'd climb up and down a mountain or a couple in a day, and then we'd be able to sleep there at night and avoid the cost of the huts. Um, but also, it, it kind of sucked having to go hike, knowing that your family is in town a little bit, I guess, for, for you and Emily, um, especially Emily having her, her dad there. So, yeah, we were just forcing ourselves to to hike on a day where we, we really didn't have to. Um, you know, we had people there for us that we could have been spending quality time with. And there we are just at the, the bottom of this very intimidating mountain in the pouring rain. Um, just like it's, it would have been kind of irresponsible. It was sketchy to be going up that mountain just because there's so many like slippery rocks and stuff along the way up. Um, I think we passed a couple of people that were kind of recommending us not to and saying that they were getting off because of the weather. So I think that was the right call at the end of the day. Yeah, and and whether it was or wasn't, uh, you know, you, you never know what would have happened. But the way things did happen, we were all happy. We were all safe. We were all able to finish. So, you know, looking back, I think of things like Calorie, our good friend, who um, would I would have loved nothing more than to have finished the whole thing with him. But he got injured, his ankle, and so he had to take some time off. And I, the other day I was thinking, man, what, what if we had taken one extra day here and then maybe he wouldn't have stepped awkwardly that one day and we would have ended up finishing it with him. But that's, you can't do that. I mean, that's just not the way things are supposed to work out. And, you know, um, obviously we were meant to not hike that day because everything worked out well running around in your mind all day thinking about like what if you right. did this differently um but at the end of the day I, I think everyone hikes the hike that they're supposed to hike because yeah. there's so many outside factors that happen that you're not in control of that you just gotta kind of roll with it and accept 
all the challenges and stuff that come along and just keep chugging along. Yeah, big uh, example of that is your spider bite, right? Because, I mean, it was a small thing. I still remember that pretty well. Uh, we were at the end of the whites, and it was like a 23-mile day to get to a road in Maine where we were. There's the barn. I can't remember exactly what town it was. Uh, maybe Munson. I think Munson, but um, you ended up staying, you hiked like 21 miles and you stayed at the shelter that was right before the road and that's where you ended up getting a spider bite. And I mean, had you not stayed there that night and continued with us to the barn, you wouldn't have gotten the spider bite, but you also wouldn't have the story of having been bitten by a spider, having a huge, you know... Uh, like portion of your leg turned to purple <laughs> and like uh you know granted you probably wouldn't want to you know if you could go back you might change that but it, it was a, a pretty pretty crazy harrowing story that i think you know now in retrospect you will always be able to tell mm -hmm. and you know you wouldn't take it back i would think but yeah well I guess it's not definite that I would have avoided that bite yeah. if, if I hiked the extra two miles with you. Yeah, there were a lot of spiders up there. Yeah, so. Curly and Jetson just had to hike that extra two miles that day to get to... Well, what, actually... What did you want to eat? There not, was like fast food or something in town? Not, well, yeah, there was Subway. Okay. Which anytime, you know, which I did not on the trail about. you can get Subway, <laughs> like do it. But um, no, it was funny because I had... I remember... I had looked at the book and thought that it was only an extra 0.9 mm -hmm. to the road from the, the um, shelter, but it turns out it was an extra like 1.9. So we get about, you know, at, at, by the time we're in Maine, we can gauge really well what a mile is. So by the time we hit a mile, and I've been saying the whole time it's only 0.9 more, Emily was like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and I'm like... Just keep going. Like, it can't be that much further. And we were trying to beat the um, the sun, but we didn't. In fact, if you if you remember, you were a little bit ahead of us. You got to the shelter, like I guess just as night was falling, and we um, we came in. You had already set up, and we passed through. But we already knew by the time we got to the shelter, we weren't making it before dark. And then, so you weren't with us, but we finally got to, it was that 1.9, we finally got to the road, and um, it was probably like 7.30, 8 o'clock by then, we called up the, uh, the guy at the barn, he was kind enough to come pick us up, um, I want to say his name was Paul, but I could be wrong, um, and it was a shithole, but it was as good as one can expect from a uh, hostile, like, off the trail, so uh, it all worked out. We did get Subway. We crack walked all the way from the barn to the Subway, which was like another half mile. So half mile there, half mile back, just for Subway. I think I ate a, uh, one and a half subs, and Emily, God bless her, only had half of her sub, which was crazy to me because the whole reason we got there was the thing. But Anyway, yeah, that was a fun, it was, I mean... It wasn't fun getting to the road. It was fun eating Subway. And it was a good Subway. You know, you can tell after you've been on the trail and you've seen like 50 Subways, you know the difference between a shit Subway and a really good one. Subway uh, sandwich artists. Right. Yeah. So it was definitely worth it to you? Oh, 100%.
And that was actually, that was another thing. Like, I, I, I don't remember too many times, with the exception of that, that one in the whites, where I was like, I want to stop here. Let's not push it a little further. Like, you know, especially towards the end, you get in the mode of trying to do as much as you can in that day. Use every hour of that day because you know that, you know, you're immediately going to eat, fall asleep, wake up, and get back to it. And the more miles you can get in a day, the less days you're out there. So by the end, totally different mindset than at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, you're like enjoying things and you've, you know, that's why you're carrying like 40 pounds on your back because you've got all of the, this excess stuff so that when you're in camp, you're not just sitting around with your finger up your ass. Um, but then by the end, you've gotten rid of everything because you're just trying to get miles and you're not looking to hang out when you're in camp. Or if you are hanging out, you're just enjoying the company of others and laughing and talking. You're not necessarily, you know, playing cards or writing anything or... Um, I mean, not to say that some people didn't write. I know M kept her journal, which was amazing to me. I had my uh, now ex-girlfriend had given me a really nice leather-bound journal, and um, I used it to a certain degree. We actually wrote, our Emily and I had a little uh, script that we were writing. I'm not going to reveal what it was, because I think at some point we might still put it together, and it could be really big for Disney. But... Um, uh, I gave up on that like within two weeks, but Emily kept her entire journal and now she's got, I guess, a book that she's writing. So pretty awesome. Yeah, it's definitely tough to keep the journal going. I think I lasted like maybe half the trail and then <laughs> yeah. after that on and off. Yeah, I remember your posts. Uh, <laughs> you would read us the journal yeah. posts. <laughs> you know, by the end, it was just like two bears. Yeah. Terrible shitter. <laughs> Went to bed at 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my entries, I guess, kept getting shorter and shorter until they were just so compact that I look back at them and I'm just like, I don't really remember much of that day, but I remember the entry. No, I think you could probably look at the, the, um, you know, the, the map and think of, you know, what did I do along this stretch, like this city or this shelter? But um, Yeah, I think I wrote in my AWOL guide every night where... I ended up. So I have the date next to the shelter that I slept right. at that night. Right. Um, you can kind of piece it together. Yeah, a little I mean, bit. You're not going to get every day, but you can get a good like 80% of your time spent out there, some sort of memory or connection, you know. Yeah, luckily the second half of the trail, I spent the whole thing with you and Emily. So if I forget, I could just ask her to. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> It'll jog my memory. Yeah, for sure. Although I got to be honest with you, I don't, some of uh, Emily's stories that I heard on her podcast were a little off. Like little things like that. Um, the story, well, just as a small thing, but I think she said that it was a Snickers bar. Or something. Whoa, you got a bone to pick was, over here. It was a payday. <laughs> and that mattered to me because I love paydays. So, you know, I gave up a half of my payday. That was a big deal. But um, half of a Snickers bar, I mean, who gives a shit about Snickers? Well... I, I can vouch that. I'm not even big on eating candy or chocolate, but I, I love Snickers bars out there on the trail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, out there, so good. you'd eat anything. But yeah, payday, I feel like, is a more fitting name for like a rewarding treat at the end of the day. At right. The end of a hike. Well, and, you know, for that moment, granted, I think I was maybe paying a little bit more attention to the details of it because I was laughing, you know, at the situation. She was like, 
somewhat emotional, crying because of having fallen and almost impaled herself and, uh, and also being like kind of starving because of, as she already described, the uh, kerfuffle she had with her food situation, which I also had, but um, that was just poor planning on our part. But, um, you know, it was uh, not to bust her chops too much, but I did hear that, and I was like, it was a payday! <laughs> so what did you expect the trail to be like prior to your hike? You know, Emily and Tim would probably um, tell you that I came in completely unaware of what I was uh, getting myself into, and they would be 100% correct. I really didn't give much thought to what it was going to be like. I didn't prepare for it. I'm in fairly good shape, so, and I knew there would be a, a kind of ramp-up period, but I don't, I don't run much for exercise. And, um, I mean, I, I kind of had more of, I, I think my idea of the trail was pretty spot on for the first, like, 700 miles, and which is, you know, a big community of some like-minded people. You know, there is certainly a, um, a range of personalities that you'll meet out there. I mean, there's like, it's almost kind of like there's, the, you know, kind of like high school, how you have these quintessential, you know, geek, uh, uh, princess, uh, cheerleader, whatever, uh, sports jock. Out there, you've got the kind of like standard druggie, you know, or and then the flip side of that, the the former druggie who's trying to get away from drugs, and then you've got like the nature uh, um, cons- conservationist people who are like yogis in their normal life, and they just came out to connect with nature more. And then there's the like the the kind of adventurous people um, who, you know, for them it's about the challenge and and. Um, you know, there, there are all these archetypes, and I, I don't know which archetype I necessarily fit into, but um, I totally expected going out there to meet a lot of different people, and, um, and certainly for the first 700 miles. I say 700 because, you know, most drop out by then. So after the first 700, you really start to get uh, to know people a little bit better, so the general archetype doesn't hold true as much, um, and then you see people a lot less, so the community feel to it kind of dropped off a little bit, um, but that being said, I mean, so the larger community kind of whittled down to a smaller community of people who are generally within the same 40-mile back or forward range of wherever we were, so, you know, sometimes they would catch up, like Helter Skelter, right, you know, we passed him, then he passed us. Then we caught back up to him. Then he got back up to us. We didn't finish with him, but he, can't, he ended up finishing like two days after us, if that, maybe one day. Um, calorie, you know, we, we met him initially. Um, Emily's better at uh, remembering exactly where. But, um, but we met Calorie. Then he went further, further and faster than we did. But then he slowed down and we caught up and then we really got to know him. This was around, uh, three bears. I remember that. Um, which is kind of around the same time, 
a little bit after uh, you know you and 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 our group kind of coming together. Yeah, this is all near Central Virginia. Yeah, I guess it was after like... Daleville and Troutville and and that stuff. Yeah, but um, you know that we got like some really core friends and um, and core competitors, right? So there are definitely people who are like. You know, we're not in that group, <laughs> you know, because generally those were the groups of people or a group of people who thought they were hot shit because they had hiked other things and, and the AT wasn't that special to them or, you know, it was just another uh, long trek, um, you know, that, or, or they were people that thought they were faster than they were, that speed was the goal. I mean, you know, they tell you a million times it's a marathon, not a sprint. But there's still people who go into it like only concerned about speed and beating people every day. And like, I know there was at least one guy who was like, I never want to get past ever. And then one day, I, I want to say it was Slam, but it could have been some other uh, female. But she, they, the female passed him on the, on the trail and then it was like a, somehow a knock to his masculinity. I mean, that dude obviously had issues separate of, you know, um, the speed thing. But, uh, you know, it definitely intensified it for him, at least, the misogyny. Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak on, you know, anyone else's right reason to hike, but that seems like the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was just a part of his personality. I doubt it was the reason he went out there, but whatever part of his personality was that competitive... Um, led him to get, you know, upset if he was ever passed, which is just, like, dumb, you know? And there is a lot of misogyny out there. I think now that I am not only away from the trail, but in in uh, grad school where, you know, we talk about misogyny and, and racism and, and how these things affect society, um, looking back, I can totally see how both of those societal issues are as prevalent on the trail as they are in, in real life. I mean, calorie is one of the, A, the, the best people I know, but also one of the, the best hikers. And it's not because he can go, like he's the fastest or he's the toughest, but he's got a really great personality um, and something I, I think I shared earlier is that, like, appreciating the struggle. And, you know, Calorie's not a complainer. So uh, even when he got hurt, he took time off, but he came back. You know, he had bigger goals in mind, and um, he wasn't going to let one thing stop him. Uh, that, that makes a great hiker. He happens to be a black man, right? Does the fact that he's black have anything to do with it? No, but there were less black people out there. And then other hikers, you know, I, I think there's this idea that, uh, that you know, you, you're, you're not going to see a lot of people of color or women on the trail. That is completely false. I mean, granted, there are less, right? Because it is, there are still proportional uh, issues. But, um, but, you know, I met several black people out there. Exterminator from Denver, super cool dude. Um, and I'm not going to name all of the, the black people and women I saw, but, you know, I think that um, 
a lot of the issues we have in society were also visible on the trail. And um, thankfully on the trail, I think there was just a more of a sense of community than we have in real life. Like, in, for the most part in real life, you can separate yourself from other people and get along. I think on the trail, if you were to do that, you're going to end up alienating yourself so much so that it's just harder to get through the whole thing with, you know, without leaning on someone or like having a friend or you know, someone to share the experience with. Yeah, well, I would argue that the trail is totally a microcosm of what's going on in society. Like you had mentioned earlier about it kind of um, resembling that of high school cliques. It, it is like the things that you, you're not going to necessarily escape all the things that you think you're escaping from society if you're going to hike a trail or at least if you're going to hike the AT because it does have that um, social aspect to it and there's a pretty big community that hike around the same time so there's definitely going to be similarities between the people that you meet on the trail and even just personality wise the people that you meet in ordinary life um, because you can't escape you know people that are products of society and cultural culture so yeah people out there let their freak flag fly yeah you know that's the one that is one big difference between general society and the microcosm that is the trail the microcosm of society that is the trail. Um, you know, it's like naked day. I mean, we don't have in society a naked day. On the trail, they do. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're allowed to a certain extent to be yourself that I don't think people um, grant themselves in society. That's one great thing about the trail is, you know, you can, um, you can be yourself. Yeah, I think that part was definitely refreshing. Um, just that overall kind of heightened openness that everyone shares on the trail and that vulnerability that everybody has because, I mean, you're going to start passing the same people every day or whatever. You're going to get to know people at camp if you're having some talks around fires and, you know, because it, it's it's a communal gathering at night and everyone's tired and everyone's excited. They're doing, they're fulfilling a dream and everyone out there is just kind of wired similarly in the way that they appreciate the simple things in life. I mean, think about it. We're all living with just a backpack. And I think people like that generally do want to always keep it real. So you'll get to know people that want to be open with you very quickly. And that's something that I appreciated from the trail, at least, is just the people being so open and being able to kind of get a feel for someone and connect relatively quickly as opposed to, you know not ever knowing someone that well that you work with every day for right. your whole entire well, career. And there's less of an, an option for people to hide the ball with their personality quirks. You know, you're, when you're around someone, you know, 18 hours a day when you're not sleeping, just hiking and kind of talking things through, you, you know, you get to know them on a, on a really personal level very quickly, you know, um, and that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, right? The, the one, uh, um, you know, the good thing about the trail is if you don't like someone's personality, you can always hike faster, right? Or hike slower, <laughs> you know, depending on who you're uh, trying to get away from. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it forces you to, um, to 
to open up and get to know people in a way that you're not forced to in, in normal society. How did you get your trail name? Uh, so my trail name's Curly, and that's twofold. I had, um, A, I have curly hair when, it's, when I let it grow out, uh, a little bit of a Jufro, which if you post my picture up, people can see that. Uh, and then the second, about two weeks in, my, I spoke with my uh, college roommate, Chris, and unfortunately our house dog had passed away. His name was Curly because he had a curled tail, and um, I was already kicking around the name, and then it was just like, you know, it's meant to be, right? So I'm going to carry Curly's name all the way, and um, and now I love it. I mean, honestly, the, the surprise to me was that, A, no one else had it for my class, my year, and then B, the other books I would look into, no one had it. So it seemed, even though to me it would be a fairly regular name that it was it was unique so i liked it yeah i still find myself calling you curly more so than michael oh yeah and women love to call me curly i don't know why it is but uh i think there's so many michaels out there and curly's just kind of a uh playful unique name so for whatever reason that holds true yeah i feel like the nickname is a dying art of some sort no one really has like nicknames that aren't just like short abbreviations of their name. Yeah. And then you go to the trail and everyone has like the craziest names. Yeah, and kind of a side thing, if you uh, have ever seen City Slickers, there's a character in there who's named Curly. He's like the old curmudgeon uh, cowboy. And I think that personality fits with me pretty well. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm not an old, old man. I'm 34, which, uh, you know, is old enough to, to be a little bit uh, curmudgeon and uh, I definitely embody Curly from City Slickers. So, so that's three different yeah, I guess other Curly or reasons to take that name on. Yeah. What was the best moment that you experienced on the trail? Uh, I mean, that's, that's tough because there are a lot. I can say one of my, I, I think my favorite moment, single moment, was the day we spent at St. John's or St. James River jumping off the top of the bridge. Oh, James River? Yeah. That was that was right before Emily's birthday. I think that was Emily's birthday. It, yeah, it it was Emily's birthday and then um so I I liked it for a few different reasons. One, I like doing exciting things and that was like a 40-foot jump. Um the other thing was uh, we, we, we got it all on video. It was like, it was a beautiful day. If you remember back, um, it was one of those things like, there's not a lot of times on the trail. I feel like where it got my heart racing and that was one of them. Uh, I'm not necessarily an adrenaline junkie, but when I am in that kind of situation where it's like, you kind of have to do it, then I'm not, uh, you know, a wimp or a wuss. I'm, I'm going to do it, but, you know, that, that was definitely a really fun experience. And by the end, I think we both ended up jumping off like four or five times. Um, so that was a really great experience. Um, I think, was it happy moments or what was it, the, the actual question? Yeah, just like what was your 
best moment on the trail or just best, best part of the trail, anything. Like, some of that sticks out is, you know, you look back and you're like, I'm so happy I hiked that trail. Well, I mean, uh, man, the time I spent with them is definitely, looking back, like, that is top thing I would never replace. Even if I spent four months, you know, in Hawaii with them or just on some other trip, you know, or hell, even just in Atlanta, like being able to spend that amount of time with a family member and getting to know them on a different level because we had known each other obviously pretty well as, as uncle and niece, but now it's, we have a, a more friend relationship. Um, so I think my, you know, it's not necessarily one single moment. It's a collection of moments I shared with M, but you know, uh, I can think of a lot of different individual moments where I either laughed at her or she, I gave her reason to laugh at me. I think that was more often the case. Because, uh, you know, kind of going back, not to backtrack into other questions, but I, I didn't come out there knowing what I would get myself into. So I didn't have the right gear. And, um, you know, I, the, I had pissed Tim and Emily off the first, within the first five days. <laughs> I had already, like, hiked too far one day and didn't communicate with them. And, um, you know, in my mind at the time, it was, it was totally fine. But there, are, there is somewhat of an etiquette when you're hiking with other people. And both Tim and Emily would agree that I uh, screwed the pooch that day which I totally apologized for the next day when they caught up. Um, took them out to rib country in Hiawassee, which for anyone who hikes the trail, when you get to top of Georgia Hostel, go into Hiawassee and get yourself a rack and a half of ribs. It'll make everything feel better. Um, Tim can attest. But, um, yeah, I mean, those moments and and you know the two weeks I spent with Tim down in Georgia and then the week up in uh, New Hampshire in the Whites were really good I think for the two of us um, and his cousin Joe Mack who you know pretty well at this point uh, he was there so it was just you know the the times with family were really special and can you talk more about the dynamic of you and Emily being um niece and uncle and what is it like a 10 year difference yeah so she's my uh, eldest sister's eldest born daughter so my my sister Kate uh, is 14 years older than me Emily is only 10 years younger than me so technically I'm closer I'm certainly closer in age to Emily but and up until the Appalachian Trail I would say I was closer to my sister even though because we lived in different places pretty much my whole life um you know, uh, it was still brother-sister as opposed to friends, which now that I live in Atlanta, I think we've established more of a friend relationship, which is great. But um, the dynamic with Emily was interesting because most people on the trail, initially, when we would meet them, I think she may have mentioned this, they would understandably think we were together like a couple which is uh, gross, <laughs> you know, from like a standpoint of an uncle. I'm like, please don't ever say that. Um, but, um, you know, 
I, it's understandable, um, but it did make it interesting meeting people every time for the first time and be like, oh, we thought you guys were together and be like, nope. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, kind of as I had said, like the dynamic of our relationship, of, certainly over the course of the whole thing, had, had changed from an uncle-niece situation to a friend-friend. And in both scenarios, I would, you know, lay down in traffic for Emily, but... Um, I think now we kind of understand where each other's coming from a little bit better. Uh, you know, I definitely have um, some, some I don't know what you call it, picadillos or some bugaboos, some things about my personality that are quirky and some people, like, it turns them off. And, um, you know, Emily would probably attest that there are certainly some things about me that irk people. On occasion, I can be a dick. <laughs> it's definitely like, I think you could probably say that about most dudes, but um, but I do recognize that capability uh, for myself, and I and I try to fight it. But then there are times where it's too difficult for me to fight, and I let my dick flag fly. <laughs> and um, I can remember specifically a time with you where it was about hanging the bags, and I don't know why. You know, part of the thing is when I say some something. It's not always intended to come across as dicky as it does. Uh, and I can think of several examples outside of the trail where, where I will say something. It, honestly, I think this is in part my father coming out th uh, uh, through me. You know, Not to say he's a, necessarily a dick, but he is a ball buster. And there's a part of me that is a ball buster. And people in general don't like having their, their balls busted. What was your worst moment on the trail? My worst moment. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, right? But the worst moment was the, the last day. I mean, I can't think of any particular time where I was like, I mean, apart from the little things of like, you know, you've had a long day and you're a little bit snippy or snarky with someone or something, which didn't happen a whole lot, you know, but it would on occasion. I remember there was that one day it had rained. I think, for me, it wasn't that I was uh, um, being, there weren't those moments where I was like the worst version of me, but there were definitely moments where I was upset because of something someone else did, and I have learned over my 34 years to control my temper, but there's, for everybody, a certain amount that they can take, and then once they've passed that point, like, you can't help them. And there was definitely that day with that fugitive kid where I felt like he had basically not stolen food per se, but he had taken food that wasn't meant for him. And looking back, like I've, I value being charitable and generous to other people. I think we should all share, you know, and I personally think like one of the things I try to be is a generous person because... You never know, tomorrow I might be the one in need. And, um, and if I have something and you need it, I want to be the type of person who will share it with you. Um, I think that a lot of that has to do with my background. I, I went to a parochial school. Catholicism was a big part of my upbringing. I've since gotten away from religion, but the values are, and the morality is still there. Uh, I just choose to follow my own moral compass instead of one prescribed by some super ancient dogma. 
But, um, but so looking back, you know, I could have certainly been more generous, but I think he also had kind of overstepped the normal bounds of decency. At least in my mind at the time, I was like, this motherfucker. And, you know, I, things had already compounded to a point where I wasn't very forgiving. And I think in that moment, I was understandably peeved with him. And I know you remember, I was like mad-dogging the guy the whole yeah, time. Well, tell the story so people could either get on your side or disagree with you. <laughs> gotcha. So we had just done uh, the technically hardest mile on the trail. Um, and so we had come down, what was the name of the, uh, no, uh, Mahusik's Notch. And um, Chuck, or Chuckles, our good friend, had some family who were uh, going to be driving, they were, I think had been driving from Georgia to Maine to go to a cabin in Maine. And they stopped along to, to bring us some pizza and some Coca-Cola um, and not a lot of snacks. I think grapes, you know. They brought enough for the group, and there very well could have been extra. But we get down after this long hike. We're super excited. Prior to uh, us actually arriving, we had stopped for water at some stream, and we were just discussing it amongst ourselves, like the excitement of, holy shit, in about three miles, we're going to be knee-deep in pizza and Coke and, and family, and, you know, we're going take a couple hours to forget where, you know, this. And, um, and there was this kid, Fugitive, who we had seen before but was not a, um, a, a vocal person. I mean, we had seen him. He never said anything to us. He was very dismissive. Didn't really, didn't seem like he wanted to make friends with anybody, and we were fine with that because he, quite frankly, seemed a little off. But um, I remember we got to this water spot, and he kind of came up, and we were discussing trail magic, and he latched on to this, just the words trail magic. And at the time, Chuck told him, well, it's not, it's not trail magic. It's like, you know, I got some friends who are some family that's bringing stuff specifically for us. And, um, and I realize how that sounds, right? But you have to know, when you're on the trail, food is a luxury, right? Pizza, Subway... Anything that isn't rice, ramen bombs, uh, bagels, you know, those things are huge and they matter <laughs> in a way that they don't matter in normal life. And um, we got down to the, to the gap there. And that was the same gap I remember that um, um, Carl, Meltzer. Carl Meltzer, right. He was that we crossed paths, crossed paths. And... Um, we finally got there, and Chuck had not, we, we were a little bit ahead of Chuck. I think it was M and I got there first, and then you, and then Chuck. Or did you come after? I can't remember. Um, no, that sounds right. Yeah, and we had seen uh, Chuck's um, extended family, in essence, his girlfriends, parents, and, and um, siblings. We had met them before at least the siblings, so uh, we knew who they were, and we went over, and we kind of started snacking, and then here comes Fugitive, before you or Chuck got there, and he sets his pack down at the truck, and like, grabs a piece of pizza the whole time, and just mad-dogging him, like, you know, the, the actual person who this is meant for isn't even here, Em and I were just waiting for Chuck, and, and Homeboy was like, chopping at the bit to get to this food, and it, you know, part of me, like, 
had he been a little bit more personable, I think I would have had a different opinion of him. Because there was, if you remember, another cat who came down. I can't remember his name, but he was someone who had hiked the PCT, and then this was his second long-distance hike, and he was personable. We got to know him. Like, that when, there were, when, when we could tell that there were going to be extras, we invited him over, and that was really the difference. You know, kind of assuming that because you overheard someone else talking about some food that you're invited, right? And again, let me... I already kind of prefaced this by saying it wasn't my finest moment, right? Like, but in the moment, it's really hard because you're starving. You know, I was, this is in Maine. So we are like 1,900 miles in um, and every little thing mattered our, to our mood. Like the slightest thing could affect our mood. That day had rained. Like there were a few things that was just like really needed, this and looked forward to this and then it was tainted in my mind somewhat so it was like I could have killed that kid but thankfully he took my advice he hiked far and fast and we didn't see him again until Stratford and by then I had kind of chilled out and I was gonna I was thinking about apologizing to him but I was also thinking about punching him in the face so it was like I was on the fence about how to handle it from that point on and just decided not to, not to engage with him. So what had happened actually, like at the pizza, like how did how did it fall out? Because, um, yeah, again, I wasn't actually there for that, so I was a little behind. But um, again, he he didn't like say anything or acknowledge anyone, right, or say thank you. Or, yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't say a word to anybody. He just put his pack down, and then kind of in that you know, in that weird dude way, just stood on the outer uh, reaches of our circle kind of not really engaging in any way in the conversation, but kind of a part of it because just by virtue of proximity. And, um, and then uh, when, you know, I think Lila's, Chuck's girlfriend's dad um, said, hey, you know, grab a piece of pizza. Dude went right in and grabbed a couple pieces of pizza. And I was just like, hey, I mean, there's a lot of different things. Take one piece and then see, you know, how many else is there, right? So there's that, and then, which is the way I go about it. And again, you know, not my finest moment, but it made a lot of sense when I was there. I was like, dude's like jumping in. Chuck's not even here. Like have some kind of um, respect for Chuck and just wait. Not to mention Chuck had already told him, you know, hold off. If there's something extra, we'll get, you know, we'll hook you up. But, you know, and the kid just went ahead and like, jumped in it was just annoying and frustrating and angering but uh you know what fugitive is out there somewhere and if he hears this i'm sorry buddy well did you even like say anything to him yeah i mean when he left i just said i mean i was mad dogging him the whole time but as he like he could tell at a certain point he was just i don't remember if he said something to me like you okay and i was just like no, I'm not. But he's, he got the hint, and then he, he grabbed his backpack, and he very easily could have stayed where we were that night in the gap, but he hiked on. And I have to think in part it was my parting words, which was, have a good one. You better hike far and fast. A little bit more angry tone to it than that, but um, I, I let him know that he was probably not welcome to stay with us that night. 
Okay, well, I know that the story definitely like bothered you, but I'm surprised you bring it up in the worst case scenario just because I'm remembering you suffering through a night of kidney stones. Yeah, no. Um, I, yeah, dude, I didn't even think about that. I mean, I, at first I was going to say the worst, the worst part was getting to Katahdin and realizing like that that was it. And I mean, part of it was the day we got up there was fucking terrible. You know, you couldn't see anything, and that's just the luck of the draw. But it's like freezing up there, and you want to spend time, and you've seen all these pictures of other people, like, enjoying time spent up there. When we first started the trail, we thought we were going to go into town and get some, some, some like, not tuxedos, but suits, and, like, do it right. This was when Cal was still around, and we were thinking it would be, like, this group of us. Um, and then it, it just kind of let me down a little bit, but... Um, no, I think now that you now that you mention it, yeah, there were there were two really terrible days. The first was uh, the day I had kidney stones, but you know, the, I think the part part of the reason I don't really count that day as a bad day was because even though I had kidney stones uh, at the beginning of the day, after I got went to the hospital and got back on the trail, I um, had a great day. So, kind of to give you background on that. Imagine, close your eyes, imagine it's 1.30 in the morning and you wake up from your hammock with a shooting pain in your kidney area, right? I had already had one kidney stone in March of that year, so I knew what it felt. And for any of those people out there who have not felt a kidney stone, it's as if someone is jabbing an ice pick into your back. And at first, it's light tapping and not that deep. But then within like 20 minutes, it goes from zero to 100. And then it's just like a constant nagging real pain in your, in your kidney, in your back. And I knew when I woke up at 1.30 that it was going to go from mild to terrible in about 20 to 30 minutes. So I actually, I was still kind of in, on good terms sort of with my uh, now ex-girlfriend and she had been there through the first kidney stone, so I called her from the top of a mountain. I got reception where we happened to be, and I was like, I don't know what to do. It's 1.30 in the morning. It might be a kidney stone. It might not. Um, I'm, on, I'm two miles from a road. What, what should I do? And she was like, you know you got to go to the hospital, so get off the phone, wake Emily up, and go. And I really, uh, you know, Mira was great with that um, that day and then just after that because... So I wake up Emily, it's like by this point, 140, 145, because I, you know, I was debating what I should do, and, um, and I told her, and she immediately is like, all right, let's get packed up, let's go. So we get everything packed up. By the time everything was packed up, it's starting to really kick in. We get about 500 feet outside of the shelter area, and I fall down throwing up. So at that point, Emily takes my backpack on, and we continue down the mountain. She is a little bit ahead of me. I'm struggling down. I'm not crawling exactly, but like struggling down two miles. We finally get to the road. I'm like doubled over on the side of the road while she's trying to flag down cars on a country road at five in the morning. Um, Finally, like we get a ride into the uh, into town to a hospital that's not too too far away. This is around Pine Grove, just the day before Pine Grove for Furnace. Um, we went to the hospital, got there by nine. 
I got discharged by 11. They sent me to go pick up prescription. We went and got uh, Subway while my prescription was being filled. We got back to the trail around noon. And then we knew, so the whole deal that day was we, were, we would have ended at Pine Grove Forest where they have the half-gallon challenge. And we were with you and Cal, and we wanted to see, you know, see that. <laughs> like neither one of us, Emily or I, I think planned on doing the half-gallon challenge. But we wanted to see if you guys would. And you had to hike on. Um, so we, had, we knew we had, it was 19 miles to do between 12 and 6 because the place, like, closed at 6. And, um, and we did it. <laughs> like, I don't even know how we did it. I'm partly because I think I was drugged up and, you know, because I had been on an IV from like nine to 10 that morning. And Emily, God bless her on no sleep, just is uh, uh, full of energy or at least was that day. And I can remember at one point, we were talking about this the other day, we're like running, which there were rare times. There were a few, but they were rare that we would run on the trail. But that was definitely one of those days. And um, we saw Chuck that day. We weren't hiking with him at that point, but we saw him and, and Lila and his sister and her husband uh, drinking beers, checking out that, that area. But um, So the end of the day, we get to Pine Grove Forest. We witness a Pine Grove Furnace. We witness various people doing the half-gallon challenge. It was that, that was the same day that kid attempted it and ended up in the toilet and like broke the toilet, so it was unusable for anyone else that day. We hung out with, uh, um, uh, what's that guy, the hiker yearbook? Odie, yeah, he's a good guy. We uh, ended up staying in Pine Grove Forest campsite area right by the lake. That was a good time. Um, so I, th I thought that was a great day to in total. The other day where I didn't have a kidney stone, that was the single worst day. for By far, single worst day, even worse than the... the um, Katahdin that, you know, wasn't quite what I thought it would be. And uh, that day, A, I shit myself. <laughs> I remember that pretty, pretty vividly. Uh, I had contracted Noro somehow, right? Um, and I threw up my oatmeal that morning. But I thought I would hike and see how it goes. And I, I was dehydrated. And it was one, I'm not going to describe the moment I shat myself, but... It was one of those, you know, it was one of those things I was sick and it happens as it always happens. I thought I would fart and it, it turned out to not be, uh, you know, just that. But um, whoever's listening to this, I'm, I apologize for the description. But um, still, I laugh at it because after it happened, thank God I was by a river or stream. So there was somewhere I could immediately go to wash up and... I smoked a cigarette, collected myself. I was feeling terrible because I, I still had Noro. I didn't quite know it was Noro, uh, but I come to find out it definitely was. Um, I should have at that point taken Emily and Cal's advice and just been like, you know, we're not hiking today. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to take 24 hours and let this pass. Uh, I said, nah, let's do it. I feel a lot better. I, I took care of everything. I'm clean. Let's do it. I remember speaking to my ex that day. Like, in between having washed up and having gotten restarted, I spoke to her, and I was, you know, at that point, our relationship was definitely really strained. And she was super supportive that day. Like, 
worried about my health and, and telling me, you know, you should probably take it easy today. And of course, I didn't listen, um, which is a theme with me. Uh, so we, we continue hiking, and I remember it was like 11 miles of hell. Basically, I shat on the side of the trail about nine times, sometimes being rolled up on by other hikers, you know, which at that point I didn't care because it was more about just like feeling good than, than what other people thought of me. Um, sorry for anyone who happened to pass me <laughs> like five feet off the trail with my ass hanging out, but, um, or the smell for that matter. I'm sure it was terrible. But um, I was so dehydrated, and, and I was suffering from neuro, and it co combined with the fact that in between the stream uh, where I washed and the end of our day, we were only going to do 11 miles that day, uh, there was no water. It was like a nine-mile stretch or something without water. So if you only have one liter, uh, which I by that point we had... I. I only had one Nalgene and my, my um, filter. You know, I didn't have a lot of water. Nine miles is a lot to go on that limited amount. And, and combined with the fact I was already dehydrated, it just one, it compounded one situation on another. And at some point, my back started to go into spasms. And that, I thought, had been another kidney stone, which the anxiety and nervousness and worry about the potential hospital visit for a kidney stone may have fed into my, the pain I was feeling. But um, we ended up, I, thankfully, th this part came after my initial hospital visit, so I still had some medication. But Emily, being the future doctor, refused to give me more than the, the you know, bottle said to. So... I was in such pain, it wasn't really helping with the pain to the extent I needed it to. So I remember, basically, we hiked, to, I got, finally got to the water source after just a grueling, gruelingly long, slow trip to get there. Uh, and then we were still two miles. That's when the back spasm kicked in. So for the first nine miles of that 11-mile day, I was just like, Dealing with neuro and being dehydrated, not having a lot of water, having to uh, you know clean myself up from a previous. But then once we got to the water source, when my back started to go into spasms, then it was like another two miles to get to the road so that I could go to another hospital. Um, so that I just bawled through that two miles. Cal and M were behind me, and thank God for the two of them. You know, um, they they like took their time and, and let me, you know, kind of dictate how that day went. And then when we finally did get to a hotel, I went to a hospital, I get back, and Cal has taken care of the hotel room, and M has gone out and, you know, gotten some food. And, I mean, they both took really great care of me and, and you know, consoled me because I knew that I, at that point, was not going to be able to get hiking the next day with the two of them. So it was kind of a bittersweet moment where I was about to take a week to recuperate and they were going to go on without me. Um, that, uh, that was not fun to kind of wrap my head around, but it all worked out in the end and uh, now I have this great story and yeah.
Yeah, you can definitely look on the bright side if you consider that a great story. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, now, in the moment, it was miserable. But looking back, that's kind of the the thing I, I, um, I think it's, it's really important to um, appreciate the struggle, right? Like, and this kind of goes back into the whole not complaining. I mean, that's not to say I didn't complain that day. If you had been around me that day, you would have heard me either bitching or moaning or complaining or crying, <laughs> you know, bawling. Um, it wasn't fun. But now looking back, it's like, man, that was such a challenging day. And the fact that I was able to come back from that, you know, um, I'm really grateful for the challenge and the struggle that I, I went through. And what were you thinking in your head while you're going through these tough times on the trail, whether it be suffering through noro or kidney stones or just like those days that are really tough um, when you're just mentally and physically drained? What, what do you tell yourself or what do you think about to, to keep going and keep motivated? I mean, I think on a certain level, I, I have an ability to compartmentalize, right? So I, because by virtue of the way my life has gone, I have an acute sense of the uh, temporariness of the moment, right? So I was really able to say, you know, I, this, is, this is really ch- tough and really challenging, but if I keep plugging away, it will end. And the end is not as far away as it might feel right now, right? So like in the moment, four and a half months seems like forever. And when you've gone two months, which is a long time, away from conveniences and luxuries in society, and you realize that you have that period of time plus more, you know, it can be daunting. But, um, but for me, you know, I, I, I think I come into experiences knowing that it's just going to be a temporary thing, which is actually a completely unrelated issue with my relationships. But, you know... Life is a series of moments, and you need to seize your moment and, um, and not, not shy away from it or, or, or let it overtake you, you know, just let it happen. And then later on, inevitably, you'll look back and you'll be happy or you'll laugh or you'll appreciate it or, you know. Um, yeah, so I think in the moment, I would just tell myself, this is temporary, Right. Um, n- not only will things be better, <laughs> you know, at the end, at the complete end terminus of this, but at the end of the day, things are going to get better. You can't, you're not going to be hiking 24 hours a day. You will get a moment in camp to relax and, you know, sleep or eat. Or Unfortunately, you, can really, you can't eat to the extent you would want to eat. But you do get to eat something. <laughs> so there's, there's always something to look forward to at the end of the day. Uh, what was the best trail magic that you experienced? Well, M would say I, uh, the best trail magic that she... I think, I think M would say my best trail magic was the day at Fontana Dam. And certainly the day at Fontana Dam was great trail magic. You gotta, I am not... A, I'm a Georgia Bulldog, so I'm not necessarily a Tennessee volunteer fan, but uh, there were some Tennessee volunteer fans who were at this uh, 
uh, Fontana Dam uh, Trail Magic. They had their tents out and their chairs, and you know, so it, it was just funny taking these um, uh, this Trail Magic from kind of like a rival, but um, but they outdid themselves. It was a huge spread. I remember eating like my weight in uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, chips, fruit. I think I actually kept a running total of how much I ate that day, and it was pretty, pretty intense. But um, I don't know if I would say that that was my, necessarily my favorite trail magic. Um, there was one day, uh, well, there was the day in Hot Springs where uh, my brother-in-law's parents, my sister's in-laws, came and, and um, it was in Hot Springs. They put us up for a night. They met us there, took us out for dinner, put us up for the night, and then we got started back the next day. And we went to a restaurant. They got dinner. I got two entrees. I th- you know, it was like I stuffed myself. And it's not like that typical trail magic where you're in the middle of the trail and then there's something. Like I knew it was going to be there, but um, it was just at the time it hit the spot, and, um, and uh, you know, as good as, as Fontana Dam, the, like, the, the amount, as much as there was, I think the quality, you know, was more of, you know, when you're in smaller group situations, and, and um, there was one, I'll, I'll say the worst trail magic is pretty easy. Someone put Pepsis out on the trail, I'm a Coca-Cola guy. I grew up in Georgia. Pepsi is the enemy. <laughs> and, you know, not to say I didn't drink it, <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of like, great, Pepsi. There's no such thing as bad trail magic. No, and, and uh, I think to anyone who is listening, um, trail magic is one of the, probably the best things about the trail. And it's a way of connecting people who are on the trail with people who appreciate and respect the trail. And, um, you know, it expands the community, allowing people to come onto the trail and share a moment of your journey. They're making normally a huge impression on your trip. I mean, I can still remember some of the faces of the, the kind folks who would come out and you know, provide uh, uh, luxury things that we wouldn't otherwise have access to just out of the goodness of their heart. I remember one of my, another really great moments that like uh, confirmed the goodness of humanity to me was the day at Rhone. Before the hike up Rhone, it had started to snow. And there's a, um, a gap where some locals had come out with the truck, they were making hot dogs, hamburgers, they had Doritos and Oreos and Coca-Colas, and no one expected Trail Magic to be there because it was snowing. Like, who wants to get leave their warm home to go out and not not even for to you know to bring any sort anything to them? It was so that they could bring things to other people. You know, that kind of um, charity and generosity and thoughtfulness. Uh, is just amazing, and, and you get it a lot on the trail. Unfortunately, less so once you get past a certain stage, 
you know, I think really, truly, once we were gone from Virginia, you know, the trail magic kind of was more few and far in between. But um, it was always appreciated. You will never, in, in my life, I've never seen the amount of gratitude, pure, unadulterated gratitude, uh, both seen and felt. Like, I felt immense amounts of gratitude to people who took time out of their day to, to, to bring us food. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, trail angels are, like, a really special breed of people that just give with no ulterior motives. They don't expect anything back. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I can definitely agree with what you're saying about how grateful you feel about these total strangers just, like, completely making your day possibly your week, like just with an act of kindness that, you know, they chose to do and that they make the conscious effort to go out and just affect people's lives in a positive way is just a beautiful thing. Yeah, and there's really, you cannot under uh, understate, or rather you cannot overstate the excitement of hearing at the top of a mountain, that at the bottom of a the mountain, there's trail magic. I mean, it makes, you forget that you have to hike, <laughs> you know, at that point, it's just like, you've got a goal right in front of you, you can almost taste it, and you don't care what you have to do or put up with to get to it, you're just, you know, full steam ahead, so it, it always made, you know, the, the trip in between hearing trail magic and wherever the trail magic was, made that trip a lot quicker and easier. What was your favorite town along the trail? Kind of a toss-up. I, I really love Roanoke. I think for anyone who wants to be around the trail, uh, it's a great spot to be in because you've got three pretty significant um, vistas. You know, obviously McAfee's Knob, but uh, also Dragon's Tooth. And there's the, a third that comes right after. Tinker Cliffs? Yes, Tinker Cliffs. Um, so... That would just be a great town to live in, not to mention the downtown area was killer. I mean, it's everyone was so nice. There was a, a, a music venue amphitheater in the downtown. The day we got in there, which was one of the first days we met you, was um, they were having a, a farmer's market in downtown. Like, the, it was almost like the downtown was was built around the farmer's market. It was that central to the vibe there. But um, the people were really, really nice. And Emily had a friend from college, uh, uh, a professor, not a professor, but um, I guess a mentor of sorts to her that we were able to stay with her and her partner. Great people. Um, we, uh, we really liked Roanoke. Um, the other town... You know, uh, Hanover was really cool because Dartmouth was there and uh, they embrace their their link to the trail. You have to walk through Hanover. You can't avoid it. Um, but I do think Hanover is a bit bougie for my taste. You know, and it is still an Ivy League school town and there would be no town probably without Dartmouth. Uh, although I will say Dartmouth is, so I heard there, the crunchiest, the most granola of the Ivies. Um, they were cool people, but, um, you know, 
I, I think Roanoke would probably be between the two, my favorite. And do you have any eating recommendations for any of the towns along the way? What was the best meal that you had? The best meal I had, it would have to be, uh, it, it, as, as much as I would love to say it was some hole in the wall spot in one of these small trail towns, like God bless them, but they don't really have a lot. You know, you might get a subway or, or a gas station sandwich spot, but, um, Generally, the better meals I had were in the bigger towns. Like I think we had a pretty, pretty dang ass meal in Hanover, um, and in Roanoke. Uh, Roanoke's probably the best because it was a home cooked meal. Emily's friend, uh, who we met, she had been hiking that day. We kind of serendipitously met along the trail. She took us to her place, cooked us a fantastic meal. She had a, a rhubarb pie. At the end, that was just perfect, and um, I, I think my my suggestion is is to, uh, definitely to find people you know along the trail and get a home cooked meal. But what about like the best meal out of town somewhere that like that's that you could recommend a future hiker to go and stop at and grab a meal? You know, it's difficult because all of my like. My, uh, I I worked in hospitality, so I've had some great meals that I didn't have to pay for at restaurants. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I don't have enough money to just go out to nice restaurants myself. But I have worked at nice restaurants, so I've had really nice meals. And honestly, there was nothing. I don't. It's I can't remember one specific place where I was like, even if I weren't hiking the trail, I would definitely come back to this area so that I could go to that restaurant. I mean, that's not to say that there weren't some places that had good food, but if you ask me right now, where if there was one place, I I would say any place you can get a home cooked meal is going to be better than any restaurant you find out there. Probably not answering the question exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I just can't believe that you'd hike an extra two miles in the dark for a Subway sandwich, and you're still like glowing about that meal, and you can't give a honest recommendation of a good. Like kind of one-off restaurant from any of these towns. If there had been one like awesome barbecue spot, I might. You know what? Rib Country in Hiawassee. I love barbecue. And granted, that was really early. That was the first two weeks of the trail. But goddamn it, Rib Country's really, really good. And um, and I love barbecue. So yeah, if you go to Hiawassee, as I, I would say this: if you're hiking north to south. And you get to top of Georgia Hostel, you've only got another 87 miles to go. You need to go into Hiawassee and get some rib country and make that your celebratory meal. Because once you get to Springer, it's a long trip to get anywhere else. Um, you know, so I, I would definitely go to Hiawassee. Okay. What was your favorite view on the trail? So I had a couple. Max Patch was really great expansive view because there's no nothing obscuring you know um, the horizon you've got your max's patch is on the tallest hill around all of these other hills so you can pretty much see past every other hill uh, or mountain as it was but um and that's kind of like imagine the sound of music you know you've got this wide area where you can kind of just hang out, run around. I think we made a video or two of, of, 
uh, like sound and music thing, but uh, Max's patch was really great and unexpected. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be as, as awesome as it was. Um, the pond at uh, was an Upper Goose Pond mm-hmm. in New York. That night's sunset there on the water and that was really great. I think the last the last great view was the one you, myself, and M shared at East Flagstaff Lake. Mm. That might be my favorite only because A, I love the water. So anytime as as great as the vistas are when you're in a at the mountaintop kind of looking down on mountains or water. I really love being at the water's edge and getting mountains in the background. So there were several times, you know, I had my, my hammock. Um, so I was constantly looking out, even when I was in it sleeping, or, you know, I could just kind of pop my head up and see a view. And I was at East Flagstaff Lake, I was hammocked right on the water's edge. So for, for me, it had everything I wanted. But there's so many views. I mean, that night we night hiked. We finally got to Duncannon the next day, but at the shelter before Duncannon, we stayed there. And like a mile before that shelter is a great view that the, you, M, Cal, and I all shared, um, which was kind of insane if you really think about it, because it was like 2.30 in the morning. We had only one more mile to go, but I think all of us collectively were like, this is a great moment. We should embrace or, you know, appreciate. Yes, it's at night and we're just seeing these, the, the lights of town from a, from a distance, but it was still a really great moment and good view. And, and um, Yeah, I think we had hiked over 30 miles that day. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, into that. So you would think that we're just trying to make this day end and we wanted to get to that finish line, but all four of us just like collectively agreed that it was it felt appropriate to just stop and kind of just take a minute and appreciate just where we were and how we got there. Just like four kind of would be strangers, uh, minus you and Emily being related, but um, just like sharing an awesome time an awesome adventure and just it was yeah it was a beautiful night weather wise and we just kind of enjoyed that view at the top of a mountain and it was just like kind of a, a break in the trees if i'm not mistaken it wasn't at the top of anything it was just a break yeah and there was just like a it was a stone that was a perfect bench i don't know if it had been cut into or something but it was just like plenty room for the four of us yeah yeah if you do night hiking right it could be really special McAfee's knob was pretty awesome. McAfee's knob was awesome, and I think I might have been one of the only people that didn't like know that what it was. What? Yeah, I just walked up on it. Some people like talked about it maybe the day prior. I, you know, unless I come up to it in the guidebook, I don't know what's what's coming unless it's like a day's hike. Um, and I was just absolutely blown away when I when I popped up there and and saw that like amazing view. Yeah, I remember that. I'd say part of the reason I wouldn't call that one of my favorites is because I associate that view of being there with also getting into a fight with my now ex. Um, you know, it's like, it stinks that there are moments that are tainted by that. I mean, the night at Craig's place, another moment, like, didn't have to be that way, but 
you know, that's the way it was. And um, at a certain point in the trail, once, you know, uh, uh, what had happened, what, or what was going to happen when my relationship happened, um, it didn't have as much an effect on, on uh, the individual moments. So I, I do think there was like this weird way that, you know, a view is, isn't, it's just a view if you're not in the right mindset to appreciate it. And even the most beautiful view can be completely fucked up by either the wrong attitude or mood or, or a negative occurrence, you know. And, and conversely, a, a fairly, you know, objectively mediocre view can be incredible if you're there with the right people in the right mindset and able to appreciate it. Do you remember a time that you experienced extreme weather conditions? Uh, yeah, I mean, there were at least like 25 days, I'd say, out of the 138 where it rained and um, and was miserable. I mean, there were probably more days than it, that, uh, that it rained, but not all of them were, were miserable necessarily. Uh, there were a couple days in particular. The, the day after hiking Rome, because we had to stay in, in the barn. There was going to be some, there, it had already been snowing that day, and Rome's pretty high up there, so elevation wise. So um, it, it got pretty cold. But thankfully, it, it didn't feel cold, really, because we were hiking. But then we stopped at the barn, and overnight, it snowed like, you know, maybe four to six inches. And then we had to cross over. I want to say it's Houston's Houston's Ridge, something Houston, um, to get to Mountain Harbor, B and B, which is only like I think we had five miles to do that day, um, but that day was insane with the wind coming because it's a bald Houston's bald that's what it is because it's a bald there's no block from the wind and I can remember Emily in particular getting knocked over by the wind like <laughs> numerous like five times at least she was knocked over by the wind i also was pushed over a, a couple times and, and the trail itself i mean i think it was a combination of factors because of the snow the trail had had zeroed into like a one foot in front of the other situation um so that was difficult plus the snow plus the wind plus the cold that was the most adverse weather. But um, separate of that, the whites were difficult. I mean, there was that one day. Who knows what could have happened that day we decided not to go, right? Um, I think Sweets and Wheels and Jingle all kind of ended up with a bit of cold after. Definitely, a, 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 you know, I think a good call not to go. But uh, that could have ended up being the, the worst weather day. Catan was definitely a disappointing weather day, I mean, but that you really have no control over. And um, I mean, some of the days it rained, like, you remember when we we were in Damascus, but we were uh, maybe a day early or something, so we decided, I don't know if you were No, that was before, that was before, yeah. We were with uh, Peebers and Grizz and uh, Pterodactyl, my man, pterodactyl, Terry, Terry. Um, we were uh, in Damascus a little bit early for 
for what's it called? Trail days. Trail days. And uh, so we decided we would go a little bit north and then hike back down to Damascus. And that rain was pretty shitty. I actually lost my Benchmade knife along that path. So if anyone happens to have found a Benchmade knife about 20 miles north of Damascus, that's mine. Um, I want it back. But um, that was a pretty crappy rain day. I remember there was that torrential downpour day where that one woman, whatever her name was, like kicked me or kicked my bag. That was another like moment where I was more upset than I needed to be. You know, looking back, I'm like, I could have kept my cool better. But um, not to say I was like terrible to her or anything, but I mad dogged her. <laughs> you know, I have a tendency to do that when I get upset with people, like just stare at them. What do you think the toughest climb was that you experienced on the trail? Oh, man. I'm not going to remember the name. It was before Carter Shelter. There's a, there's a, a shelter that's, like, built in. It's a hut. Well, maybe it is a place still. I don't know. Carter it is a presidential, so. Um, there, was a, there was one hike somewhere in the Whites that the elevation climb was insane, and it was long, and it was, like, it's kind of like a time where you're more bouldering than anything else. And um, we crushed it. I do remember that. Like, that is kind of the one thing. You see the elevation and you think sometimes it's going to be worse than it is and find out it's not that bad. And then there are other times where you think, ah, oh, that's not that bad. And then it ends up being, like, terribly difficult. So the book can be decept- deceptive. But, um, can't, you know, I, I, I can't remember the exact name of the spot. There were a lot. Mahusik's Notch. People say that's difficult. I just thought that was fun. I mean, yeah, it's slow going, but it's a change-up. You know, the, most of what you're getting on the trail is a fastball. Well, Mahusik Notch is a change-up. Like, okay, you're not just going to be able to power through this. It's really technical. you got to take your time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Katana was really interesting. For only being five miles up, that was a really slow going climb and there's some really dangerous spots. I could, you know, part of me is, is surprised that they allow people to go up the way we went up because it seems like one small misstep and you're off the side of the mountain. I mean, it's, it, you know, there were definitely parts where I was coming down where I was like, holy shit, this is, this really is dangerous. And I hadn't felt it in that same way on, that I had in Katahdin at any other point on the trail. There was like an extra level of danger um, that it was inherent to it. Like Dragon's Tooth, you the trail itself doesn't take you over the that rock. You know, you have to go off the trail to climb up the rock, and that's dangerous. You know, you could kill yourself really easily there. But you don't even have to get up onto that rock. So it's not, you know, or like Spy Rock. I mean, just some of the places we would climb up and down to get to these better views, you know, pretty dangerous stuff. My, my parents would sure, you know, not have wanted me to do it, but that goes for most things. What do you think were some of the hardest obstacles on the trail? I don't know if the terrain is as difficult as the mental aspect to it. I mean, 
it's a long, it, it, it probably is the same dynamic that a, a sprint versus a marathon. I mean, totally different mindsets. You know, the, the, the mental aspect of, like, kind of like I said earlier, you've already put in two months and you realize that what you have left is longer than what you just did. And what you just did took a lot out of you, right? So you're like at this moment, whoever decided that, that pace, uh, what's the um, Harper's Ferry? Whoever decided that would be the kind of unofficial halfway point, probably the ATC. But um, that kind of works against you because you, you, you're told, yeah, this is the unofficial halfway. Do that after you've hit the official halfway, kind of, you know, because it's not, you still have like 200 miles just to get to the halfway point. So it's, it, I don't know, mentally that kind of, it didn't do good for me. I will say that one of my favorite hikes, simply for the ease of it, is the like five miles out from, heading north from Harper's Ferry. Just remember that it's like a bike path. Yeah. Gravel. No elevation climb. I mean, once you pass that, then it gets pretty gross. But coming out of Harper's Ferry is a really, really nice walk down by this. I mean, what was it like a river on one side and then this nasty pond on the other side with all the algae and stuff. And I mean, we did get to see some pretty cool wildlife. That was really fun. Yeah, I remember seeing tons of turtles. Yeah. Um, deer, bear on occasion. But um, yeah, what were some of your experiences with wildlife out there? One of my favorites was I actually got this on video. A, a, uh, a baby deer came up and sniffed me, which is not like especially huge. I mean, it's not a, a necessarily exciting thing. It's not like seeing a bear. You know, there's no element of danger to it. But there is this. Like, I don't know, I, I definitely feel like animals aren't as afraid of me as they may be of other people, Whatever for whatever reason, I'm not as, as um, yeah, uh, scary to them. So <laughs> this little deer comes up, and I look off in the distance in the, in the woods, and I can see the doe, its mom, is just kind of watching this happen. The, the little deer comes up and sniffs at my, my uh, shin, and I didn't pet the deer or anything, but... Um, but, you know, it was just a cool moment with nature where, you know, you would never be in any other place where nature will come up to you like that. Also, uh, when Pickles played some Notorious B.I.G. To, to get the bear who was hanging around our campsite to go away, that was kind of just funny. You know, it was at nighttime, we couldn't actually see the bear. All we, we, it was just hearing rough, ruffling uh, in the, the trees, rustling. Did you listen to anything while hiking? Yeah, so I don't know if you asked her this question, but we crushed Hamilton. At one point, even you, who didn't like or listen to Hamilton, knew parts of Hamilton because we were belting it out. Uh, and I will say, like, thank God we had music. Uh, you know, Neither Emily or I prepared in the same way that you and Chuck did to have Audible and um, and you know the the battery packs, and we weren't you know prepared to to the same degree as early as you. Eventually, we did get there, so we were able to have a little. I had a speaker, 
Emily had her phone. I had a battery charger. We could play some music. She had um, she had some interesting songs on her Spotify. I remember one in particular. Actually, there were two. One was a reggae song that we played when we got to Maine, and. Um, you can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really need. That was really great. Uh, and it kind of perfect for that moment. And then there was another one. Um, it's Not My Day. I can't remember the artist. But it's just like, it's one of those songs that, I mean, he's talking about having a shitty day. But in an upbeat way where you're like, all right, even if I'm having a crappy day, I can have, I can make it okay, bearable, fun, even. So those, the Hamilton and those two songs were big. What would you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner out on the trail every day? Right. So this is an important thing. When I started, I didn't know what the right way to do it was, and I would do it totally different. I thought that... Obviously, ramen and rice and like uh, summer sausage, crackers, you know, maybe some, like cheese, some of these things. And, you know, you are, I think at the beginning, it's, it's, it, it changes in part because of the weather. Like at the beginning, it's a little bit colder. Uh, so, you know, certain food items in April that you can have in April, you can't have in July. You know, the cheese is one of those things. Like, I just don't. You know, I wouldn't want to eat that soft-ass cheese in July that I would have crushed in April. But um, I think my if I were to suggest to anyone what to eat or bring, I think I had it nailed at the end. I had I would get a bag of Lenders bagels, and I would obviously separate them in two. And I had one combo I had was, what, pepperoni and laughing cow cheese. And I've got to thank, um, uh, uh, what is the guy's name? Captain Morgan did. Oh, Sailor Jerry. Sailor Jerry. Sailor Jerry got me on these laughing cow cheese things. That was huge for me. Uh, so pepperoni with laughing cow cheese and then jelly and cream cheese. Those two, like I would have jelly and the cream cheese on a bagel for the morning and then the pepperoni and cheese for lunch and dinner. And that hit the spot. And then paydays, Skittles were one of my big things. Although I think that was what led me to Noro because I had a bag where I would let other people grab some and, you know, bad idea. But um, also the banana nut oatmeals, those were really great in terms of calories, you know, being pretty packed. I would not suggest eating that outside of a hiking scenario though because when I got back I was still on this like oatmeal for breakfast deal and I gained like 15 pounds from between the oatmeal and the beer in the first like month I was back I gained pretty much everything I had lost I you know I've always been kind of small really skinny but uh, I was really skinny when I got back from the trail and then I put the pounds on back and then some actually I think I gained like 30 pounds and then lost the 15 extra pounds I had of, you know, working out. Also, I got away from, you know, I did do trail mixes, but um, kind of got away from those. I mean, you know, tastes change, I think, and you get tired of things. Like, at one point, we were huge on Cheetos, 
right? And then it was like, okay, we'll do GR delis, whatever those things are. And then it was Chex Mix. And then it was like, all right, let's just get all of it and throw it in a bag. And then it was like Doritos <laughs> with that. You know, it's like, how much crap can we throw in one big as Ziploc bag? Give us as much variety as possible. I do remember I was surprised that everyone would be talking about the spicy trail mix from Dollar General. I had it one day and I'm like, oh, this is like really good and it's different. And you try to get like the spicy trail mix anywhere else and it just tastes completely different. Um, I was just surprised that like it was a known thing on the trail that Dollar General had really good spicy trail mix. I really, I didn't know that much about Dollar General until the, the trail, but they're so prevalent out there. It's insane. They're serving this community, not of, not just of hikers, but of small towns. Like when I, I remember coming back and I was like, I need to put some money into Dollar General. <laughs> like they've got a really, they've got some core business out in, in middle America that, uh, I mean, it's not a sexy pick for stocks, but you know, it's pretty consistent. And I got to say, as limited as the selection was, you know, I'd much rather go to a Dollar General than some of those other, you know, stores we ended up having to go to. I mean, obviously, if you get a grocery store, that's the best. But uh, Dollar General's not that bad. Did you carry any unique items with you on the trail? Did I carry any unique items? I mean, obviously, not everyone has cigarettes. Right? That's not unique, necessarily. But out there, it's certainly less... Uh, less available and prevalent. There's, you know, there's obviously most people think you shouldn't smoke while you're out there. But to me, especially early on, it was like a, a light, a very lightweight luxury that could take me far, far away from the pain and tribulation of the trail. And um, I still think one of my, I mean, we were talking about the Vistas and East Flag and Staff Lake. Part of what locked that moment in for me was that's where I had my last cigarette. Like, I can remember sharing it with you and saying to myself, there's really never going to be a better place or time to let this go. And somehow I've been able to stick with it. And now it's a year and a half later, I still haven't smoked any cigarettes. And hopefully I, I won't go back to it. Never say never. <laughs> but, you know, um, the yeah, unique item. I did, at the beginning, I had a Frisbee. Uh, totally worthless. Was, I, I mean, I, I, I take that back. I did throw a little bit at the Fontana Dam Trail Magic. I think I was so happy from the food. I broke it out and we threw and with a guy named Cavs and Miles. I don't know if you met them. But, um, there were a couple of buddies from from uh, same hometown, wherever that was. But you know, it was it was it was interesting and different to have a frisbee out there. I used to play ultimate frisbee, so I love throwing. Uh, I think looking back, I never would. You know, just as I ended without it, I wouldn't take it again. Um, and I mean, I think that goes for anyone who's looking to start the trail. Just. Oh man, as difficult as it may be to start out without those kind of things, you're going to end up that way. And maybe it is a process you have to go through, but if I were to do it now looking back, I would I would not bring a pack of cards. I wouldn't bring, I mean, hell, dude, one guy brought a guitar, you know? And some actually, 
Helter Skelter ended up with a traveling guitar. Like, to some people, it may be worth it. You know, to me, I just was trying to lose as much pack weight as possible. So all of those unique kind of items, the journal, I mean, hell, I, by the time I was done, I had my hiking shorts, which are the North Face um, shorts that have an, in, an inner lining. So no underwear, basically. It comes with its own underwear. I had my hiking shorts, my sleeveless hiking shirt uh, to hike in every day. That was it, my socks. And then at night, I would put on a pair of long john pants and a long john or a thermal shirt. So I had a pair of sleeping clothes and a pair of hiking clothes, and that was it. When I started my trip, I had like three pairs of pants, the, you know, the Columbia like reversible zip pants. Actually, maybe it was two. I, I picked up a third pair that someone had put in a, in a hiker bin. Um, but I had like three shirts, four pairs of socks. I way overdid clothes, you know, just like learn to live with the fact that you're going to smell, you're going to be putting on smelly clothes, you know, you're not going to escape it. So just one pair of hiking clothes, one pair of sleeping clothes, and just deal with it. Well, maybe a emergency dry outfit. Definitely, yeah, like some uh, some rain gear wouldn't hurt. Is there a good go-to trail story that you tell your friends who ask you about your 2016 through hike? The definitely the shame myself story. I mean, as gross as it is, it was just such a crazy day from start to finish. And um, and I look back. I mean, it's funny. I think I personally think that it, what happened was funny. Some might think it's gross, right? I also think that it happens to pretty much everyone. If you're an adult, you've lived thirty years or whatever, twenty years maybe. You've been sick, and you know you may or may not, but more than likely have experienced that sensation, and uh, and so I think most people can relate to it, uh, and people in general like to laugh at things like that, and other people having to you know deal with that problem, which I think I mean I, I didn't really tell the necessarily the full story of that moment, but um, to give you a quick rundown because you weren't there um, at that exact time uh, we had crossed over a bridge I had already thrown up that morning Callie and Emily are just up ahead of me and we have we've crossed the bridge we're starting down this path I think I'm about to fart and I shit <laughs> and it was like this it, yeah I think everybody you may edit this out I think everybody's had that moment of thinking it's going to be one thing turns out to be something else and now how are you going to deal with it and I immediately went to, to use the bathroom and then a car starts to come down and so it's like I pull up my pants I'm in, you know trying to hold myself in front of this car I'm looking at your face right now and I'm telling <laughs> this is not good um, it's just a funny story uh, that is kind of my go to story actually do you remember any right place right time moments serendipity serendipity yes I mean there was serendipity all over the trail I mean the, you could do the trail magic. But I mean, I think anyone to anyone who has finished, you must have encountered serendipity because, you know, even the weather being good is a serendipitous act. I mean, it doesn't have to be. There's, 
I don't know how many years before. I think it was 2015, the year before we did. People joke about having to swim. They swam the AT, you know, um, because it rained so much. And, and I'm sure more people quit when you have to, you know, it's already challenging enough hiking. You throw in the added challenge of the weather and dealing with really poor weather, and it can all kind of compound. We got pretty lucky. I mean, those, I think earlier I said 25 days. However many it was, it wasn't overwhelming. And it was at least few and far enough between that there was never a moment where it was like, all right, I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah, so. What did you take away from your hike? How has your life changed since hiking the trail? Well, in a greater sense, kind of tied in with the last question of serendipity, I think you are where you're meant to be. I think it was a little serendipity that I was on the trail to begin with, right? There was, had Emily not mentioned to my parents and, and me that, that she was going to be hiking the Appalachian Trail, I might not have gone had she not been okay with the fact that I was going to tag along with her when she didn't need me to, you know, she could have very easily said, you know, I, as I'm kind of looking, I was looking forward to doing this by myself and, and I appreciate it, even though I'd love to have you and I'm conflicted maybe with it. I think this is something I need to do alone. She definitely could have done that. And I absolutely would have respected it. Um, but she didn't. And, and I joined her and then where I've ended up since I have to look back and say, had it not been for that, I would not be here. And just so for those who don't know who I am, I'm currently a 1L law student at Emory Law. The uh, four and a half months I spent on the Appalachian Trail led me to reflect and reevaluate my life and where I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. And it started me on a path, and it gave me a sense of, of it's, okay, it's okay to take it step by step. I mean, one of the best uh, you know, phrases on the trail is you, can't, you have to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So I kind of applied that logic to my life after the trail. Like, you know... I want. I know. I kind of have a destination in mind, and I mean that may change. The trail, at least, you know that you know the destination is what it is. It's Katahdin, but um, and in life, it's not quite that simple. But with both the trail and life, you have to take it one step at a time. You can't affect any kind of major change in a day. All you can do is work towards a goal that day and get as far as you can that day and then start again the next day and grind it out and then eventually you'll get where you wanted to be or, or at least where you're meant to be and I think the trail pushed me uh, to to realize that and um, and ever since that I have taken it kind of step by step I went I took a job in New York as a paralegal to kind of dip my toes into the legal field and see what I thought. And then when I figured out that it was something I wanted to do, I took the next step of studying and then, uh, and taking the LSAT. And then I took the next step and the next, and then finally it got me to school and I'm really enjoying where I'm at. And this is not where I want to end up, but it's one step in a lot of steps. 
that will eventually get me where I want to be, where I'm supposed to be. And um, I mean, I have the trail to thank for that. I have Emily to thank for that. You, Cal, everyone that made that experience what it what I needed it to be. You know, I'm in a much better place than I was then. And thankfully, for those uh, who may be worried that my ex and I are uh, at odds, very recently, um, we're talking a little bit again, I mean, more on a just friend's basis, but, um, you know, it's never nice to think that you, you know, either screwed someone over or let them down or, you know, that was definitely a difficult moment, a difficult issue to deal with while I was out there and then when I got back, obviously, but, um, we both came out on the other end and uh, are stronger for it and hopefully we will be able to maintain a friendship and be there for each other. What comes to mind when you look back on the on the trail now when you're through hike? I mean, really thankful, I think. It's, it's an, an extension of gratitude uh, to, to, to nature. I mean, it's out there, right? We're all here in society packed into, into groups and, and learning to navigate channels of life. And meanwhile, nature's out there just like waiting for us to come rediscover it and recenter ourselves. And I think, um, I think one of my, you know, one of my takeaways from the trail is, uh, is the, healing powers of nature you know if you if you feel overwhelmed or overloaded you can always go out and and escape it and and live pretty cheap i mean i was amazed at how cheaply one could live out there i mean granted you're probably not going to live long <laughs> you know because you're eating crap and uh you know it's you not taking the best care of yourself i guess but um but you can just be whatever you want to be out there. Uh, and there are plenty of people who do it for really, really long stretches of time. I think in the hiker yearbook, the longest, there's a dude who spent like 11 months, you know? And um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for the trail. Really grateful that I met the people I met out there that I made connections and relationships and, uh, um, the, the time I got to spend with Emily, I don't think I'll ever get a chance like that again. Um, also, it, one of the biggest things is uh, self-assurance and confidence, right? Because as I said when we started, I have a history of some, you know, not always following through, not, uh, not always finishing what I started. I've always considered myself that, an idea guy you know, I, I have great ideas. And it's like the, the, the script Emily and I were talking about. Lord knows if we'll ever write that. Now, it's a great idea. Someone should do that. I should do it. But sometimes I'm lazy and I don't, I don't do those things. But I think the trail gave me a confidence to say, you know, if, if I am going to apply myself, I can finish things. And, and it was super important to me to finish and all the like health issues I went through and obviously the, just the difficulty of the trail itself uh, kind of forced me to, 
to um, want it. It wasn't. No one's going to give it to you. You have to do it yourself, and no one can walk the miles for you, right? So it's just like this confidence that I can do it, and I'm going to do it, and that I did it was really big for me because it's something to build on. And you've got a history of letting yourself down. I mean, and I don't think I talked to family and friends. I, I think the expectations I put on myself or have in the past, you know, maybe unfair. But I hold myself to a certain standard. I want to meet that standard, and if I don't, I, I uh, am a little bit self-deprecating. But um, but that was like a chance to prove that I could finish something, and it was something that I knew I could do. I mean, mental things are much harder, right? Physical things, it's like there's. I mean, they're they're difficult but in a different sense. So you can push yourself physically in a way that you might hit a wall mentally that you cannot, you're, you're not mentally capable of overcoming. Where I think, and, and physically at least, I have not, I'm, I've never hit that kind of wall. And um, I mean, that's a privilege, right? There are some people who have bad genetics or, or uh, for whatever reason, they couldn't do it. But I knew I could, and I wasn't going to let my mental deficiencies drag my physical capability down. So it was like, here's something I know I can do, I'm going to do, and I did. Proved it to myself. I don't care who else thought I couldn't do it. And then may have, I mean, it's great that they, that I said earlier, they were impressed that I actually did it. All of that's great, but it's really a, per, a very personal thing. It's, you know, you don't do it for other people, because if you did it for other people, you wouldn't finish. And if you finished because you were doing it for other people, you're not gaining much. You know, I think the people who go out there to do it for themselves get the most out of it. And um, it was a really good experience. Would you hike it again? I would. I think given enough time and the uh, uh, ability, like, uh, you know, to get away from society again, I would. I don't know if that be the first place I would go. I was really excited when I got off the trail about the next time I would hike. Of course, it's now been over a year and I haven't been out hiking yet. I think the next one, the next big hike, I, if I were going to do one, would be the PCT. I have a friend out in Seattle who's big on uh, Pacific Northwest trails and stuff. Brandy, she's, she's awesome. Also, the El Camino out in Spain, that would be a really great hike. Um, but no, I would definitely do the Appalachian Trail again. I don't know if I would care to do the whole thing in one go. Uh, I think it would be really cool to do a, seg a section and then do trail magic with for with and for some of the people I hiked with. I could see the benefit of that. Um, maybe yeah, it would be interesting to go from north to south. Like I think if I did it again, I might I might try to do that. At the time we were. When we were Nobos, at the time, we saw these Sobos. Being a Sobo seemed like, you know, I would never, it was something I wouldn't do, <laughs> you know, partly because of the people we met who were doing it and just their attitude, their general attitude that once they had completed the, the tougher mountains in the north, they had a smooth sailing after that, which is completely not the case. Um, but then the other thing is like, 
I think the trail was meant to be done north, uh, south to north. You know, it makes sense with the weather. It makes sense with the difficulty. It makes sense with the community aspect of it. You know, if you start in the north, you're not, you're never going to get the same sense of community that you do when you start in the south. And that's unfortunate, but it's reality. Um, so what kind of backpack did you use? So I started out with uh, an old rickety uh, backpack from my Boy Scout days, and then pretty quickly, once we got to the NOC uh, in Gatlinburg, first two weeks after the first three weeks, I got a mountain hardware uh, waterproof pack, which I would totally do again. In fact, in terms of gear brands, I love mountain hardware. I think they have really, really top quality gear. It is a little bit more commercial than some of the you know niche companies out there. I mean, you can definitely find lighter gear and you can find other weatherproof sacks and, and tents and hammocks. I used Eno hammock, just a single. I didn't get all the frills with it. Um, some of my clothes, you know, I think clothes are kind of important to stick with a brand that you like. I got uh, the Patagonia uh, um, long johns, top and bottom. That's a good brand for that. North, uh, the, the shorts I got. One of my my hiking outfit at the end was perfect because a it was super light. Uh, it was a sleeveless microfiber uh, top or shirt with um, with the North Face lined shorts. They were just it was perfect. I mean, easy to wash and dry. Um, and uh, other gear. I mean, like I said, I had the jet boil. I think that's a great. Great, uh, useful tool. Uh, it's probably it's a little bit heavier than the pocket rocket, but it's definitely quicker. I think you can conserve your fuel better. Uh, it's got the wind guard built in, and um, and it is in a, it's it's a cup, so you don't have to have a separate pot or anything cup. Um, so I would definitely suggest it, but there are other options out there. Um, Definitely, the the shoes are huge, right? So now I'm I fully converted Hoka wear, um, but when I started out, I had Vasks. And you know, in Georgia, where you got a lot of the rocky stuff, it's not a bad idea to have boots. Kind of like, um, you probably could get away with trail runners, but but it's it's the the boots were nice, even though they're much much heavier. Um, also, I really like Sportivas. Their, their shoes were pretty awesome. Uh, I had a pair of Solomons. Those were really good. I got I saved Hoka's for last in part because it was the sh I knew I was this was a pair of shoes I wasn't going to wear out on the trail, so I was going to have after trail life was over. And they add it's like an extra inch of sole, so it kind of adds height. So I kind of just like that in everyday. Uh, society use, but um, but the, my favorite, I think Solomon's were probably the best pure hiking trail runner slash boot. It was kind of a mix, you know. The Sportiva and the Hokas were trail runners. They were tennis shoes meant for trails, but and the Vasks were hiking boots with like high ankle. But the Solomon's were a perfect mix between. Actually, I think I got the most 
mileage out of those. It was like, I went beyond what I probably should have, but I probably could have worn them longer. I, I think I got 900,000 miles out of them, which is a lot considering the trail's basically 2,200 miles. So, another hiking gear that I have. Tracking poles? Yeah, I had one pair of tracking poles the whole time, and they were used. I got from my brother. Um, I would definitely suggest it, but you know there are going to be times you're not going to need it. It's one of those things you'd rather have and not need than need not have. Um, which great story about the trekking poles. Remember, um, at some point we were in Maine, and Emily and I were at a. You weren't with us, but we were at a shelter, and some girl had come up and. Again, she was a, a Sobo talking about how it was going to be easy beyond that point. And I think she wrote something in the journal to that effect. And we didn't think she was that, actually. So we, Emily and I got to this place and we saw in the journal that one of the Sobos had written basically, so happy to be done with the last hard mountain on the trail, which just ticked us off because we had finally gotten to Maine after all those fucking hard mountains. And here's someone like kind of unintentionally belittling what we had just done. And um, and we were like, fuck this girl. And then it turns out she was at the campsite still. Whether or not she heard us dogging her, we don't know. But she came up to us and she was like, have you seen our, my uh, trekking poles or any trekking pole around here? She's looking up under the shelter. We're like, no, we haven't seen them. Being honest. Uh, she went on her merry way after like giving up. And we went on our way. We're heading north. And then we come across um, Argyle and Chuck. And Argyle's got pair of new poles <laughs> we're just like yeah argyle man he started out we just something about him kind of irked me he was very like by the book and a little bit reminded me of my dad which is not but always the like our personalities don't always mesh especially not i think in that environment and here comes this guy argyle who's older who's like you know, he's got his shit together. I don't. <laughs> so there's that animosity, natural animosity. But um, he's like sporting these new pair of poles and it turns out she had left them and like he didn't think that they were obviously someone who was still around so he took them. <laughs> you know, we've been dogging this girl the whole time and come to find out he took her poles. It was just a great moment. Uh, and then there, there were definitely some people who like went through their poles really quickly for whatever reason they had to get new pairs of poles and uh mine stayed the whole time they were black diamond they did great the uh the headlamp black diamond headlamp did great um the eno you know that's kind of a personal preference choice right tent or hammock i think nowadays hammock is definitely a viable option and if you you know chuck if you talk to him he's he switched from a tent to a hammock and then didn't switch back. So that might be somewhat telling. Uh, I personally love the hammock because if you're able to stay warm in it via the clothes you're wearing or whatever um, accessories to your hammock, you know, they have those quilts that can go under, which I didn't have, but I didn't necessarily have. Hammocks can be great. The only drawback is you have to at some point, for a certain stretches, you have to have a mosquito net. That was one thing I learned is, uh, or, you know, one like thing about myself is I can sleep in some of the worst conditions because there were mosquitoes, there were nights, I know you remember, you were in a tent at least and you were probably still getting 
bit. Somehow they would make it in, I'm sure. But I was just in the hammock. I had no protection, and I would cocoon myself in. But you can't hold it there and sleep. Like at some point, you let it go when you're asleep. And so I would just somehow sleep through the hordes of mosquitoes that were coming by to bite me or, stay, or suck my blood. You know. um, but so that's the only, I think, that's the main drawback to the, the hammock is the mosquito issue, not the cold. Most people probably think it's the cold. Uh, and the mosquitoes are only really during a certain time or area. So I would do the hammock again. I don't know. I, I never experienced the tent. Not one night, I think, did I actually sleep in the tent. There were some nights where we were in a field where there weren't enough trees, so I would have to take my rain flap and just kind of make a, a makeshift, makeshift um, not tent, but like canopy, and then sleep up under and hope it didn't rain. Uh, there were actually a lot of people who did that just normally. That was their thing. They didn't have a hammock or a tent. They just had a, a tarp, a tarp <laughs> which was terrible for them when it rained. I remember there was one shelter we stayed at where it, I think we ended the day at 11 because of your... Yeah, that's right, right. We were like dying, basically. And there was one guy who had a tar tarp and it ended up raining that night and he got flushed out mm -hmm. and left super early because he couldn't sleep because of the rain and the water. I felt sorry for him, but it also I was like, what did you fucking think was going to happen? <laughs> Uh, what about your sleeping bag? Ah, sleeping bag. So I started out with uh, kind of shitty um, North Face sleeping bag. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't that good either. And I ordered uh, a really nice one. Man, I, I can find out what it is. I'm not sure offhand what the brand was. But, uh, definitely, I wouldn't skimp on sleeping bag. You know, at, at, at the end of the day. You're going to be in it for like eight hours, right? So a third of your day is going to be spent in the bag. And if you're in a shelter where you don't have a tent or something else, or, you know, um, it, it separates you from your neighbor. <laughs> you know, so you kind of want something substantial that gives you uh, enough room to move around. And I, I got one that it could zip up, but but it also it was like a quilt. More so than uh, it wasn't necessarily just a sleeping bag. So I think that's another thing. Get something that fully zips all the way down so you can turn it into a quilt. All right, you'll figure out what that is and we'll put it in the show notes. And what about your sleep? Did you have a sleeping pad that you would put in the hammock? I did. I had um, just a regular REI pad, nothing special. I think, you know, there are some people, don't be that that guy or girl who gets the really crinkly sleeping pad, the air mattress one that like sounds like you're breaking up in a Doritos bag every time you move. Cause it's just annoying to the other people who are in the shelter having to listen to you move around all night. Um, but um, other than that, I almost don't think the sleeping pad matters. I mean, there were people who didn't have it and when I didn't use it, I would think, what the fuck? Like, how do they do this? Um, but you know, well, it's even more so to keep the heat in when you're sleeping on a hammock, right? That's the importance yeah, of the pad. Yeah, definitely helps for that. Yeah, it was just an REI. It wasn't. It wasn't like full air. It was one of those blow-up ones. 
Do you have any favorite quotes that are applicable to you through hiking? I mean, uh, other than the elephant, I mean, that's that, that's the quote that stuck with me. You can't eat, you have to eat an elephant one bite at a time. That fits the trail perfectly because you can't get from Georgia to Maine in a day. It's going to take more than four months if you're a normal human. And uh, apparently only like 56 days if you're one of these superhuman. We'll say one of the things that kind of irked me about the trail is the the competitiveness to it. You know, it's like who's got the best pack? Who's got the lightest pack? Who's putting in the most miles in a day? Who's taking the least amount of time? You know, um, the hike your own hike phrase is big. But I don't. I wonder to the extent it's actually taken heart, right? Because everyone seems to have a comment on something. It's like it's really easy to say, but really hard to do in practice. To like really let other people just be or do what they're going to do and not comment on it, or even the really tough thing is not to judge them for it internally. Not even if if you, even if you're not expressing that, you know, it's like. It's just not. It's it's hard to stop yourself from doing really internalizing the hike your own hike is applicable to the trail and it's applicable to life. Like let people be who they are. Let them go through this journey of life the way you know they believe is best, and and try not to judge them too harshly because you don't know what struggle people are going through. Um, it's one of my issues with, I don't know, it's a different topic, but government. Like, get out of my life. <laughs> Who are you to tell me you know how I should live my life any better than I could? Do you have a favorite book? You mean trail book? Or Not necessarily, just any book. Ooh, I mean, most recently, I've been reading a lot of law books. There's a great book about uh, a Supreme Court case, Carrie Buck, called Imbeciles. And it just goes to show you, you know, what, uh, how far we've come since the 1920s, uh, certainly in terms of misogyny. And, um, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. I think everyone would acknowledge that. But, um, but I, I just thought that was a super interesting book. When I was on the trail, I read a book about Benjamin Franklin. Because one, one other luxury thing I think that's really great, at least at the beginning, is a Kindle, paper, white, whatever, you know, you, you get. Um, because at least at the beginning, when you're only able to do a certain amount of miles, you have to fill up afternoon time, right? And that's a great way to do it, to read. Um, anyways, my, the thing I took from the Benjamin Franklin book was, homeboy walked from New York to Pennsylvania. It took him five days. Benjamin Franklin was a hiker. Like, that's pretty cool. Our, our founding fathers and people from before the time, I mean, we never have to think about it now because we have, we've had automobiles for uh, over a century. But people back in the day had to hike. And, and that's probably why you had Emerson and Thoreau and people just appreciating nature and what it can, can impart more so then than they do now. But it is cool to see that people are going and doing the trail and that that's getting more popular. And then books about go, going on a trail like Wild or, or 
the Bill Bryson into the woods, that that's becoming popular. Because, frankly, I think I think if the government wants to get into lives, they should they should do things that like mandate that every graduating high school senior needs to hike for a month, not even finish the trail, but just get away from society, connect with nature, go through a struggle. I mean, unfortunately, it's really hard to force people into doing that. But I think really, so you can get so much from even a short time out there. And people are missing out. They don't even know it. Oh, um, no, just do you want to share your social media? Yeah, sure. If you're looking for me on Facebook, it's under Curly, C-U-R-L-Y. Francisco, like the city, F-R-A-N-C-I-S-C-O. I'm not on Instagram, not on Twitter, none of that bougie stuff. Just Facebook. You can email me at M-R-M-R-F-R-A-N-C-I-S-C-O at gmail.com. If you have any questions, I'm always happy to uh, tell you about my experience or just suggestions. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Super happy. Appreciate your time. Yeah, but anything you need. All right. Thank you for listening. If you or anyone you know is interested in being interviewed, please shoot an email to hikertrashpod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at hikertrashpod and on Facebook. And until next time, happy trails.